Viewer discretion is advised. When I think about Pacifica, it's our faith, it's our family, and it's our future. Faith is not its not a religion, it's a relationship that we have. Faith encompasses all the values that we have, and we have to live it every day. Mandate. Welcome to Mandate, where we navigate fresh perspectives and nothing is off the table. Tonight's guest is from Tāmaki Makaru, out in West Okilani. He is a New Zealand politician uh, who used to be a member of the New Zealand House of Representatives uh, in, back in 2011, also in 2000, all the way to 2020. Uh, the man is also a former member of the National Party and was the very first, yes, the very first Cook Islander to be elected in Parliament. And so the man is more than just a politician, the man is also a trained and qualified electrician. The man's also got a degree in theology and it's also served as a community pastor. But the old man is also very, very, um, I guess you could say, very illustrious in terms of um, helping uh, and also co, um, co-pioneering several other amazing community events uh, in Tamaki Makaru. Uh, the man has an illustrious and also a vast profile. But most importantly, the man is is the leader, or is the chosen one. And when I mean the chosen one, I mean the leader of the newly branded um, party called New Zeal. And so please put your hands together for the New Zeal political party leader, Alfred Ngaro! Mahalo lava also, mahalo lava. Thank you so much, Alfred. Uh, we were just talking to Charles before last year. We, your name popped up or a year ago, and so it's a privilege to have you on um, tonight th- uh, during, in the podcast. And so also, just to get the, the ball rolling, why, why the comeback? Why the comeback? Is it a comeback or is it a come-up in terms of coming back into, into politics and also New Zealand? So tell us, from your own words, why, why, is, why is it that you're coming? And also, why people might think might, might be assuming, hey, well, it's, a bit, it's a bit late to, to run in, in, in this election. And so tell us, what's, what's the, the push this time around? Yeah, first of all, uh, Podcasting a mandate. Caroline, thank you so much. Uh, it's such an honour to be here. I've never ever had such an amazing introduction before, and just the word illustrious. Wow, uh, just amazing. So I'm sure Charles and uh, Jamin will be very proud of you and using these that that incredible word. And um, you know, when you when you say that word and then you add to it. I suppose the things that we've achieved, that I've achieved, both me and my family, um, I just want to uh, honour my mum and dad, really, and our mums and dads, because, you know, they were uh, risk takers when they came here. Uh, they came with a dream and an opportunity that they knew would be a legacy for the future. And so, and I, and I, I start that because everything that I've done and all that I'm doing now is in honour of them. You know, they came from humble beginnings, they um, worked incredibly hard and sacrificed, and so uh, I want to honour them because that was an incredible foundation to be doing what we're doing. And when I think about that, they were risk takers. They came to a land where there was the language was not their language, so they were, came to a different worldview. So we know there was the Pacifica Polynesian worldview at home, and then there was the Balangi mainstream mm. worldview they were in. And so they were navigating really difficult situations, and yet still they forged ahead. Uh, for us as well. So when I think about all those characteristics, really that's what I've taken on board for me and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so, yeah, so from the practical nature of being, you know, in construction and electrical to doing a theological degree, learning to listen through pastoral care, but also to um, communicate and articulate. You know, it wasn't until I went into Parliament uh, that I realised that actually 
uh, I'd had all the skills that were needed to be able to be a representative for our community. So we had come out in 2020, um, spent a bit of time looking after our family. Uh, my parents are at an age and stage in life where they needed our love and support as well. And uh, so we thought, no, we're going to look at new horizons, do some new things and so forth. But uh, somehow inside of our heart, there was this heart for community and for our people. And to be honest, it wasn't until about eight or nine weeks ago that our, the call in our heart was that um, is to serve. You know, when we grew up in, as young in, in our Sunday school, you know, you could sum up uh, our faith in, in two commandments, love God and love your neighbour. And so we've always exercised that. And so we felt the love of God saying to us, it's time to love our neighbours, love our community, love our people as well. And so we said, okay then, um, and hence the reasons why here we are heading into election, uh, is to be able to then um, start something fresh, something new. And we looked at around, there's a lot of political uh, noise, but there wasn't a resonant sound of truth. Somehow, despite the fact of people being out, you know, campaigning, and they call it a campaign runway, and so they, they release policies, they go out and they're meeting people, talking about it, they're cutting ribbons, kissing babies, and, you know, can I say, please protect your babies from politicians, right? And so they're out there doing that stuff, and yet despite that, after all the months, if you look at all the polls, people are still undecided. And then when the question is why, here's what they say, we don't know who to trust. And we just felt in our heart that actually that um, we were called to step out. And so what we did is that we um, have started something new, something fresh. And again, it's part of that characteristic of being a risk taker, and, but also putting something out that we believe resonates a sound of both uh, standing for truth while exercising grace. And uh, so New Zeal is the new party that we've set up. And I love the word zeal because what it means means is energy in pursuit of a cause. And it's a new zeal. It's a new energy. And we're in a time where there's been a lot of you know trauma, tragedy, struggles that our people have had over the pandemic. And, and not only that, but before then. Um, so, yeah, it was time to start this. And, you know, what we've been really uh, amazed is that all of a sudden when we stepped forward to take the step out, we feel like it's like a campaign of courage. So we stood up and then all of a sudden other people stood up and they said, hey, if you're going to step forward, what can I do? And so when it came to the branding, for instance, we had very professional people who turned around and said, look, I feel like I want to add to this. So then all of a sudden they put this, this brand to it, this look to it. When we said, okay, well, we need a political vehicle. We don't have a party at this stage. And all of a sudden, um, there was the one party, and they said, look, you know, we've got a party here. But I said, look, if I take this party over, we want to give it a fresh look. You know, uh, this has got to be a political party that serves all people. But obviously, our characters of our values are still, you know, very much those conservative Christian values as well. So um, so here we are, yeah. And you asked the question uh, about, you know, you know, is it timing? You know, the right timing. So... Um, so it's amazing because we're doing a rocket strategy because there's no campaign running one way. And um, when people say that, you know, about the timing, one thing I learned in politics over those nine years is that um, one day is a long time in politics. So they say this, you can start the morning as a rooster, standing up on the fence, crowing about all the things that you've done and you're going to achieve and all these amazing policies. And everyone goes, wow, it's amazing. And you can end the day as a feather duster. Right? In other words, you're gone. 
and I can name a lot of political parties, leaders. They started the day as a rooster, they ended the day as a feather duster. So to be honest, in politics, timing is quite different. And it only takes a moment to shift and change the hearts and minds of people. And uh, so we just believe that um, the nation and the people are actually waiting, waiting for something. Wow. Because mm. I know just before the, the cameras were on, I know uh, just at the back there we were talking about um, just the campaign and, and you've, just, you've just come back from Wellington and also the South Island. So tell us, what's what's the feel out there? What's the climate out there in terms of the people? Are they, are they kind of sensing, man, New Zealanders? Is probably the, the, this is the party I'm, I'm voting for. Is it something like? So what's so yeah, What's the tell us? How are people kind of uh, feeling at the, at the moment? Yeah, um, the weather climate is still very cold. <laughs> so I think we got down to three degrees, you know. And uh, so, but as far as the political climate, you know, there's a hunger. There's a hunger out there, and what people were liking about what we were saying is that um, you know we just talk straight. And there's no political nonsense about trying to fudge things. You either know it or you don't. And I suppose there's, there's, there's two things that are really important when you're campaigning that people are looking for, uh, trust and confidence. So trust is about integrity. They want to look at this person, whoever's standing there, they want to look at this party and go, can I trust them? You know, is there integrity? Is there character? Do they stand by what they mean? Do they mean what they say? Um, that's really important. The pursuit in trust is not about perfection, but it's the ability to be honest. And so that's the first thing. And we heard that. People said, well, we know your background, you, we know your history, and actually we can, we can trust you because you've always stood by what you believed in. And the second one is confidence. Confidence often reflects itself in being competent to do the job. And so people would say to me, um, What's different to you, to everyone else that's out there? There's a lot of minor parties, you know, everyone's trying to put their foot in there and trying to say, choose me, choose me. And I said, look, I respect anyone that puts their hand up to step into the political ring. But my point of difference, since you asked me, is that I've been there, I've done that. I don't have to do an apprenticeship. I don't have to sit and try and understand over the next two to three years, how does that parliamentary system work? You know, it's a very complex system. And at the same time, too, I've been a cabinet minister, so I know what it means to be at the top table of decision-making and how do you turn legislation into policy then reflects itself into practice. And so that's my point of difference. And so people are just saying, look, we just we resonate with what you're saying. Other people are saying, you know, this is, this is the hope we've been waiting for. Um, our policies are both simple and achievable, but also effective because they come from people who are in the sector. So um, so that's what, that's what we're getting, that's the feedback. And then people are saying, look, um, what can we do? How can we get the message out? How can we tell other people? And so, yeah, so we're just out there talking, getting the message out to different people. And, um, and the last thing I say is this, is that if you look at the research, it shows that every election, there's about six to 700,000 people who do not vote. And if you break down the demographic of what that looks like, um, actually, parts of it look like us. They're Polynesian, they're young, they're disengaged, they're disenfranchised. You know, they just don't think that actually the system works. People have lost faith, both in the leadership and in the system, to make a difference. So for us, we said, okay then, well, let's have the courage to see if we can dip into that pool, if we can connect and communicate. 
And I'll give you one simple example. We've got a great group of young Polynesian um, social media team that are actually in there. And uh, my younger son rang me up, you know, and said, Dad, my friend rang me up, you know, my young son's friend, and he said, um, your dad's on TikTok. And I said, he said, what do you mean my, your, my dad's on TikTok? Your dad's on TikTok. Was he dancing? And he said, no, oh, I'm glad my dad wasn't dancing on TikTok. What was he doing? He said, he said he's the leader of this, this political party called New Zeal. And then he said, if you, if you want to hear what we've got to say, then check us out. And he said, and? I checked it out. And? I joined the party. <laughs> so what? What? Say <laughs> so what? And then he said, "What is that?" And he said, "Oh, it just it just had something to it." And so I just I just really believe that, you know, if we've if we've got the commitment and the courage to look and see, you know, can we have the ability to connect with people that often are unconnected? Uh, to that, and often having been part of that system, and I suppose that's the reasons why we felt let's set up something, a political party that resonates the sound. That's not made of all the political noise around. You know, often you have the all political slogans: "Build a brighter future," and it for you, you know, and also what the heck does that mean? How about we just have some simple things? So our our vision is this: working together for the good of the country. Oh. Okay, that's pretty simple. And at the moment, there's so much that divides us. How about we just say, how about we find ways to work together, everyone working together? And I love the fact of good because um, we've still got a little bit of that tall poppy syndrome. <clears throat> Not you, Patia, but particularly Charles and Joanne <laughs> and stuff like that. So a bit of shout out to Charles and them. But, um, but the fact is, is that, you know, good is powerful, you know? We talk about the good shepherd, the good Samaritan. But if you want to go all the way back, even to, to Genesis, I love the fact that at the beginning of creation, at the end of all six days, he said, and it was good. good. So there's power in that. <clears throat> so for me, I just feel it just resonates really important. And, you know, this is Aotearoa New Zealand. It's for all peoples. And so it's simple enough, but it's powerful enough that we believe actually can capture the hearts and minds of people. So... Yeah, Damn. it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, that is good. How how far away away are we from good at the moment? Wow, that's a because <laughs> I think good is a great destination, but how we are so far away from it um, in current political yeah. climate, Standard in the fears, schools, yeah. in the society, everywhere. Like, oh, I'm I'm just a little bit like speechless just thinking about how far away we are from that. Mm. Like things that have happened in the last period are just excruciating for a lot of people. You're right. I can ima- I can I can see why there's so much distrust if that's what's coming out in the mm. polls. Um how far away are we? <laughs> well they they have this saying is so close and yet so far away. You know, and and I and I believe that there are moments where actually you know it's achievable. Um, if I think about you know good on a spectrum or on a you know on a scale that I think there are simple things that we can achieve and I believe that they're good as a journey it's not a, a destination and so every day we can do one good thing that can mm. make a difference and that's where we start from mm. and so what do I mean by that 
Look, I remember that when I was in the United States and I was actually at uh, in Washington, D.C., and I was on Capitol Hill. And I remember that the, the tour guide took us into uh, the Congress and there was this foyer area. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, if we look to the left and we open this door, it's into Congress. <laughs> and if we, ladies and gentlemen, open the right door, and that looks into the Senate. Right here is the center of the universe. God bless America. <laughs> and then for a moment there, I said in my mind, that's the typical, you know, Yankees, right, Americans, they're so arrogant. And I was caught for a moment, and I thought to this, and it was a moment where I just felt, you know, I felt the Spirit of God say to me, what would happen if you told your child that you loved them every day? They'd grow up with, with a sense of belonging. So what happens then when you tell a nation that they're blessed every day? And I said, they'll feel blessed. And then the attitude can change. And it just caught me for a moment because sometimes we, when we can be so close and yet so far away, and yet every day we can shift the doll, we can move towards becoming good, and then good begins to grow. And so i, I got to tell you, so what did it do? It changed in me. So I came home and I said, every day I'm going to tell, and I, I used to tell my children I love them anyway, but I made a point every single day, every moment on the phone, when we're together, I always say, I love you, I love you. And then I thought, okay, if I start there with my children, what can I say to others, hey, Man, you're amazing. You know, um, see, I, I just think that sometimes the power to do good is actually in our hands. And then if we start to do that, we can shift not in our hearts and even in our homes, then we can start shifting the systems around us, the realms of authority we have. We can go into places. Um, and I'll give you another example because it's, it's a very good question. I was remember asking a health official, he was a CFO, so he was the chief financial officer, and he was in the health system. Actually, it was about the party and thinking about a health priority area. I said to him, if you could change the system, health system, what would you do first? And he said this really interesting thing. He said, I will introduce the word honour. And I said, say what? What is that? What did you say that for? And he said, because people don't feel honoured in the system of health. I would introduce honour. And it was a really interesting thing. He said, what would you do? First of all, I would look and see how people are treated, right? Honour is not just about increasing remuneration, in other words, how much they get paid, though that is part of it. But when people feel honoured, that means they feel respected, they feel like a sense of belonging, and then they feel that they can extend and give more in a spirit of generosity to what they have inside a system, inside a health system and so forth. And I thought that was a really powerful thing. So I think the answer to your question is like it can just continue to grow. And then we can answer the things like that. And some of the, the most challenging things inside our system and in our communities start off often you know, for us. Because here's the truth. You can't legislate the condition of a heart of a person. There's nothing you can do. It's a choice you make every day. And yet... If we can say to people, if I choose that every day I'm going to do good, um, that can shift things in a, in a workplace, in a school, in a community, because you're going to have a different attitude. One of the most <laughs> challenging things actually is the attitude that people take into those settings. And if you don't want to be a good person, if you don't want to extend good, 
and all we get is brokenness, anger, depression, because that's what we do. And I just really believe that if we start off with that, if the attitude is to do good, then we can slowly begin to change and even face bigger challenges, which I know that you'll know about, um, that are challenging our communities. And uh, But I've seen goodness change, you know, the, often the most challenging things in people's communities and even in their homes as well. So, yeah, I know it's a bit of a long response. <laughs> oh, it's good. Yeah, I like your answer around um, it's the journey uh, and everyone can do something every day to contribute to that. Um, and... And it has a and it has a and it has an effect and it has an impact when one person decides to intentionally be good and do good to in whatever activity that they're doing it does come out on people and the good thing about being human is you pick up on authenticity you know when somebody is authentically trying to offer some level of goodness or kindness to um, other people so that's cool and it might just counteract a lot of the a lot of what's happened in the last few years, because, um, like, what well, I mean, I think people are looking for a party that's going to bring in, bring back values, or bring back a value, or rehash it, because it's just been so. Um, everything's been greyed out. It's everything's blurred. People can't really see what's black and white, and I'm not saying. Well, I am saying a lot of it is, it should be black and white, but it's just been so blurred out. Um, rights have been taken away, people's freedoms have been taken away, families have been broken to pieces. The help out there is very little. The queues are like up to 18 months in some cases just to get some support. Um, and then you have to fit a certain criteria. Like it's just, it's not, it's not cool. Yeah. And so there's ho if and so just reading through um, you know the areas that you're focusing on um, with families, farmers, freedom uh, for businesses. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that to bring some <laughs> hope into the into the space? Because you know people are looking for um, you know I don't um, people are looking for I don't know what it is because you're right the trust actually before you answer that question. What has happened to the trust in New Zealand over the last few years? Like, how do you rebuild that? And I guess before you rebuild it, you've got to really see how big the, the wound is. And the wound's massive. And you're seeing it everywhere in schools and workplaces and conversations and mental health. Oh, I was just on a Zoom just before this. <laughs> I'm like looking at this poor dude going, <laughs> it's a big job. It's a big job. And this is just people who are just trying to help and do good. Um, but it is a big job. But before we can even start looking at what needs to be done, like how, what's the damage? Because <laughs> yeah. I know you really, I, I, I saw a couple of times when you try to stand up in that space, um, I think you were probably just one voice <laughs> trying to be heard and trying to stand up for a lot of them, a lot of people who were sort of, re or just for a lot of people. Um, but how, how, in this last three years, like how big is the damage and what needs to be done to even try and put some recovery on it? Yeah, look, that's a that's a such a great question and an important question. So um, what I like about your response just when you were talking about is that word authenticity. Mm. 
because it's got to be genuine. Yeah. It's got to come from the heart. It's got to be real. And people will know. And so part of that is that um, we first of all have to own up to what we see. Yeah. Uh, and it's very easy because we've sort of started to grow up in a consumer world. And um, a lot of the times, even the types of um, characters and values is that there's a, like a form of voyeurism, right? And so what I mean by that, we've got a lot of reality TV. And so what it's done, and then when you think about the virtual worlds of the gaming world and so forth, social media. So in other words, people can look, they can engage, they can even get emotional, but they never get their hands dirty. They can see another world that's not real. And so we've lost touch with reality. And so we don't know what it is. And so we have the impacts where you can have a generation that actually all of a sudden, when it comes to reality, they do something, they don't realise there's consequences to certain actions. And so what I mean by that, you know, young kids as young as 10 and 12 who all of a sudden have been gaming, they'll um, they'll watch a, and I've seen reports about this and even hear the chief censor talk about this and also in Parliament. You know, they're, they're, watch, they're playing games like Grand Theft Auto, right? And all of a sudden you're doing all these crazy things. And when you go out and do it in the real world, you don't realise there's consequences yeah. to this to this action. So we've created a culture where people have lost the ability to understand there's an action that relates to a consequence. <clears throat> and you now got people who can be keyboard warriors behind the screen and all of a sudden they've got this pride of place and they feel like they can just go hard and say all they want, not realising that actually words matter. And so uh, it is big, but I believe the fact is, is that what will diminish the bigness of it is when people have courage to say no. Mm. When people start to step out, when people start to go along and actually realise when we put aside some of the virtual voyeurism that we've been to and start actually being face-to-face, -face, talking, connecting with people. Mm. And to your question, Patia, when I was down there in um, Invercargill, they just said, you know, it's really nice to have someone like you sit with us, talk with us. Because every time there's a, there's a virtual sort of way of looking at people, but all of a sudden you're face-to-face, -face, then you're connecting, you can hold the hand of the person, you know, you can talk, you can cry with people. They realise that actually tears matter. Mm. Why? Because now there's an authenticity to actually bring healing and restoration. Those sorts of things, I think, are, you know, that's how you start it. But you're right, because we all sit back and think, like, can anything change? So I go back to, you know, the characteristics. Our giants were our mum and dad. Our parents, they faced incredible obstacles. And before them, I mean, the Pacific Ocean, the, uh, the ocean was the, is the biggest ocean in the world. And guess what? That was our playground. Mm. So we've got a DNA inside of us, I believe, is really important. We can tap into that to give us confidence and courage. Now we start to find the innovation that they used. And when I was the Minister of Pacific Peoples, I remember one time that the staff said to us in a training day, said, oh, Minister, what are we going to do? What's our KPIs, you know, key performance indicators? And we go back to that typical default setting of how to address issues. And I pause for a minute and I say, just one thing. I want you to get your pen and paper and I want you to write this down. Our task is to articulate our cultural capital and then gain a transaction. In other words, let's give words let's begin to articulate what is it that we have? What is it that's been part of our DNA? 
And the thing is, is that we often lose the IP because someone else transacts the gain from it. We don't gain from it. Now let's use that to be able to bring hope into a situation. And so just simply if I give you an example, for instance, what we do best is when we do it together. You know, pedagogy of education will then talk about global learning. They'll use a whole variety of things. Hello, we've been doing that for generations. Mm. We haven't articulated in ways that we should, and we sure as heck don't get the transaction. In other words, the gain to use that. So where do we, what's a good example? When we did the hepatitis rollout uh, campaign, who is the ethnic group that had the largest number of immunizations? Polynesia. Mm. Why? Because we know how to mobilize and motivate our people. So there are all of these things. So now that we got this, now let's use that to address some of these mountains that are in front of us, these these stones, these challenges and so forth that are for us. Like you said, when we look at all the things that are there, my goodness, we've got now a set of tools that we can start to use. Mm. And I believe that's that's our cultural capital. We can bring something where we've grown up in two different worlds. Hello, now we know the complexity of understanding and listening to someone's worldview. And you can be a Polynesian, grew up in Ponsonby in Auckland, and then you can go all the way down to Dunedin in Southland in a small town called Clinton, sit in a pub or stand in a pub and have 60 farmers turn around and say to you, G'day, Alf. <laughs> I said, G'day, Bryce. <laughs> no, what's up? <laughs> well, with all that's going on, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like them. May do accents really well, by the way. <laughs> you know, and then and then all you need to do is not try to be the farmer from Groundswell from down on the farm, Clinton. Just be you. Yeah. And Absolutely. then all of a sudden they're going, "Hello, someone's speaking a bit of truth here." Mm. Why? Because it's in us. Mm. And as long as you don't try to be something that you're not, then people start to say that's right. And then they say, "So what should we do?" And I said, well, you know, I learned a few things along the way. I said, um, you know, I learned, learned things that, you know, my grandmother used to teach me. And I tell this really simple story. When my dad came home from work one time and said, we're going to the Point Aaron Pass, you know, in, in town. And then we were all getting our togs and towels ready. And then my grandmother said, no, not going to the pools. My dad said, come on, Mum, we've got to go to the pools. The kids are ready. There's a small pool for the kids, another pool for the adults. You know, there's a cafeteria and all that and only a Polynesian woman can say this <laughs> she said if God wants us to go to the swimming pool he would have born us in the swimming pool he born us in the sea <laughs> so guess what we went to the beach <laughs> so but you know when I was in there I was thinking like, okay but when you grow up right you think about these crazy funny moments right and I thought to myself what was my grandmother on and I realised, you know what she was reminding me and reminding us? That sometimes you can be in a world where everyone wants, wants to put you in a swimming pool. In other words, they want to put you in a box. They want to classify you, you're, you're this, you're that. And you know what she said? We weren't born to be put into little boxes mm. of people's, you know, stigma, you know, and trying to say that because everyone wants to classify you as this and that. She said, no, 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 you weren't born for that. You're born for the ocean. That's cool. And you go to the edge and you turn around and you look at the ocean and he goes, whoa, man, this is massive. You think you're like, you don't, can't see the end of the horizon. You don't know the depth. But, you know, you, she teaches, they say, well, say a prayer, give thanks, and then go. 
man, my, my little lover, Alfred. Oh, man. Um, and I, I like it. Just go back to what Karen was, was asking you in terms of how far we are we from becoming good in terms of, of, of a nation. Um, and I love it because you put it plain and simple. As, you know, a lot of people have good intentions, like we talked about early on. A lot of good intentions, but a lot of people don't, don't have the ability or have the unction to move it or to action those um, those good intentions. And you, you are, I think you come, and you are. I've known, I've known you for some years now, and so you are. You're very authentic. Um, but I need to ask you in terms of your zeal, because I love the name zeal. Is the the same? Do you still have the same? zeal in terms of when you first started it with national as opposed to now with new zeal in terms of what's the new zeal now like obviously you started a national you know man of faith and they, they would have been like oh man i want to do this i want to help my, my people help the nation and so forth but in terms of the new zeal what's the zeal now what's the zealous um with you now is it something that's totally um brand new or is it just the same values and the same that you had from, from the beginning when you were a national? Yeah, um, one of the things I suppose, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful. I mean, to be honest, my wife's more political than I am. You know, I mean, uh, I didn't... She I should didn't have taken the other seat. I know, I know. <laughs> I personally didn't have a political bone in my body. Right? I was just like, man, I didn't really care for all the politics around. And I was one of those disengaged and disenfranchised, really. It didn't it didn't really matter to me. But then I, I realised that actually... When I, when I got in there, I started thinking like, okay, this is a really interesting system and the system has the power to impact people's lives and impact our community. And I, I began to understand that and I'm thinking like, wow. And then when I went in there, like when I became the Minister of Pacific Peoples, the first place I went is the MB, the Ministry of Business, uh, Economic and Innovation. And I said to them, tell me what our people look like through that window. And, you know, it's interesting what we look like because they had an economic development planned and it was based on immigration, housing and income. And I thought, wow, is that it? Is that who we are? And I think, man, surely we're bigger and better than that. But that was it. And then I realised that, okay, then things need to shift. Under EMB, for instance, the driving uh, force of our economy is actually 550,000 SME, small to medium enterprises. We made up 1.4%. And it's like, like, we don't even feature in here in a way that we should. Mm. So I thought, nah, that's got to change. We've got to shift that system, not just for us, but for all people. And I suppose that for me, then I began to understand that actually things need to move and things have changed. And, you know, I got a chance to be able to do some of that. So anyway, came in, went dead. So I, I, I'm thankful, but I realised that actually, if I really want to get in there and actually really shift the dial, then... We've got to have something that is us. You know, it's like running your own business, right? You can work for something, but for someone, but the day you work for yourself, it's a whole new world. Now you get to determine the scope, the opportunities. You get to drive the set of values that actually, you know, drive that. And I, I suppose, you know, that's what I, you know, to answer your question, now there's a, a different zeal, right? Because now it's a me zeal. Mm, (laughs) it's all of me not half of me or not part of me that sort of you know because I've got to run a certain line a certain way that the system runs like working for a company right and the company's got a set of guidelines and you learn a lot I just love this opportunity and really grateful because now actually we can make it work I can make it work in a way that I know 
works best. Mm. And the fullness, not the halfness of who I am previously, can be here. And look, this is this is not just a, you know, just a, a one-night wonder and think, see how we go and, you know, um, that's it. This is a legacy for the future. That's what I believe. And so now New Zeal actually is a legacy so that I'm just going to be here like I was when I was the first call calling to get in. Um, that's what we're meant to be about. Break the glass ceilings, create the pathway forward. And then once we've done that, then that's the pathway for others to do the same thing too. And that's what I really believe is that what we are doing is creating a pathway saying we can. When others say we can't, that's what makes us even even more stronger. Especially when they start mocking you and think, Oh, who are you? You're too small, you do that, you're not you're not this and that. I say bring it on. Mm. That's who we are. You know? Look at Fiji. Woohoo, beat it. Yeah, yeah, Fiji. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, that's right. Come on, you know, and that's that's what I love about that. That's who we are. And when people doubt us, that's when the best of us comes out. And so I just really believe that this is a legacy for the future in regards to politics that we've never had before. And then we are here that we may be Polynesian, but guess what? We're Kiwis, we're New Zealanders. We can serve all people. And we can not be the people who add on to a system, but we can be part of helping to lead the system. You know, in a sense of governance in our nation. So, yeah, it's uh, this is the new zeal. This is the new energy that's got us and got me very excited about um, what the future could look like. Mm-hmm. It's almost a paradox, so, eh? The name, like New Zeal, because you come with so much experience. <laughs> you know, you're not just like a new dude who's just rocked up um, and mm-hmm. has just taken this leadership role. You come with so much experience. And what a wonderful opportunity it is to be able to present the zeal that you probably had within yourself to lead the country um, and to marry that together. I think it's it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's really it cool. Because yeah, I can imagine, um, Alfred, you know, like you said earlier, um, people who come in and think they can run a campaign, and, oh, I'm going to be the new leader, and whatever happens, and get all these seats. But you've been in the game. You've been in the. You've you've been. You've you put skin in the, in the mm. game as well. So you've been there for, for nine years as a cabinet minister, and so you know what it takes. And I think people, I don't know. I shouldn't say this, but but some people might think, oh, there might be disillusioned to say, oh, no, I can do a better job. And you've heard other people, other party leaders say, oh, things that man, it's unrealistic. And so in terms of talk about unrealistic, people might be might be assuming, um, Alfred. Man, you probably left the campaign for a bit, bit too long in terms of the runway. What do, what do you say to that? What do you think? Because I know you're like, you're like, man, optimistic, I can do this. So the, um, you know, we call it the elephant in the room, right? And I said, oh, come on, you know, too big, too small, too late. Um, but the real elephant in the room is actually not time or size. It's actually unbelief. And so what I hear from people is this. They say, oh, look, as far as politics is concerned, well, we don't like those people. Uh, we used to like these people, but we're not sure. No, we don't like those people. But we'll choose them because it's the lesser of two evils. And, um, you know, surely we can do better than that. And all that is, to be honest, is voting out of fear, not mm. voting out of hope. So the, so I would say to people, so if you could vote out of hope, what would hope look like to you? What would a, a leader, What would leadership look like that reflects hope? What would a party that reflects hope now we're talking about a different game now. Now rather than actually just settling for that, we can actually settle for something better. And as far as time is concerned, you know, um, in 2002, for instance, 
there was Peter Dunn, who was a one-man part of United Future. You know, it only took a moment where he was able to speak truth. He went from less than two months, a one-man party to a 10-person party. So there's a precedent where stuff can happen. And so I would say is this, we can't afford to wait uh, for another three years. The time is now. Mm. The the setting is that, like I said, it's been now nearly 12 months and yet still people are undecided. It only takes a moment to people to say, I'm going to vote out of hope, I'm going to vote New Zealand, because it reflects the hope that I see as the leadership that we can have. It's the, the vehicle of a party that has a set of values and as you said, Caroline, I mean, five priorities of, you know, family. Family for us is always the centre for all of our communities, yeah, not just Polynesian communities. And when I say family, because anyone can say that, when I say family at the centre, if you, having been there, it's a policy position. So those of you who are in policy, we have a thing called the paramountcy clause. In other words, what's at the centre? Now I can tell you, families have been removed in many cases from the centre. And they'll say they'll put the child in there. Everything sounds okay. But when you put the family outside, even of the child, it becomes a surrogate of support. In other words, like health and education and other departments, they're just you know in the same league. Now family is not the centre. And what happens if you follow the line? That means decisions that can be made for the child don't always have to come from the, from the, from the family and the parent. The number of parents who've said to me, I feel like we're starting to lose our voice that now decisions are being made for our children outside of us. And so that's what happens. When we say we want family in the centre, it's just not a, a nice thing to say. It's a policy position cool. that makes a difference. Everything from finance, for instance. I spent time with the Minister of Finance, uh, Bill English was there, and what I learned is that finance, fiscal responsibility, financial responsibility, is not just about money. In fact, primarily it's about attitude and behaviour. And we've had a lot of bad attitudes and, and irresponsible behaviour and wasteful spending. You see, it's actually called the public purse because the taxes that everyone from our from the cleaners, you know, to the farmers, to the business owners and so forth, people pay tax. It's called the public purse. So it's not just made up money. It's not it's the government's responsibility to use what's been handed to them. And people need to be reminded about that. Um, everything from farming, for instance, it just feels like people are using the farmers as the burden of blame around climate and the environment. And now all of a sudden, the, the planet and the environment is more important than the people when they're meant to go hand in hand. So things like that, just starting to shift things, getting things back into alignment, back into order. And as you said, Caroline, it's almost like we created these 50 shades of grey because somehow the grey is going to be helpful. No, it's not. Mm. You, gotta, you get no clarity. All of a sudden, all you get is confusion. Yeah. We've got to get back to some understanding, you know, what's the clarity here? What's the simplicity about we know what's important? And then everything from freedoms to the future. And what I love about this whole thing around future, which is around education, it's this attitude. And I used to argue with people. People said, education's the key. And I said, no, it's not. Education's the key. No, it's not. And I said, what do you mean? So what's the key? I said, attitude. And I can prove it every time. And I said, because... Education is a tool, very powerful. But if you have attitude along with education, you can change the world. Because there's some very bright people with amazing <laughs> achievements in education, but <laughs> you can sit on it, not judging anyone. Can give you some examples. Can give you some examples. <laughs> just, just name them, name them. We're not, we're not judging. But, 
But if, if you put attitude with education, now you've got power mm. to shift things. And um, so that's important. And then the last one is around freedoms. And, you know, um, you know what I was proud of is just seeing that, you know, a lot of our Pacifica people were part of World War One and World War Two. There were 500 Cook Island soldiers that fought in World War One under the Māori Pioneer Battalion. And they didn't have a chance to recognise. It's one of my proudest moments of being there is finally recognising their contribution that they'd made. Mm-hmm. And yet when we stood in the Anzacs and we, we hear the ode, you know, we sit in the coal and wait for the rising of the sun and then they recite that ode, that ode which is that those, those, those who, who grow old um, as those who remain shall not grow old. You know, the ages shall not weary them, nor the years condemn them. And at the rising of the sun, we shall remember them. And so yet... What's happened is that all those freedoms that were fought and died for now, someone's come along and said, actually, we're going to challenge them. We're going to change them. And um, that's why it, it evokes such a powerful emotion. And people are, are not only fearful now, they're really angry because they've just taken away the very thing that we upheld. And so I believe people want to go back to say, actually, let's uphold these freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom for choice and conscience, all of those things that are really important. The last thing I'd say with that, so everyone says, we want the rights, we want the rights. Always remember, rights also have responsibility. Mm. And we don't talk about that. So if you're going to turn around and say, yep, we want the rights, yep, but always remember, rights also have responsibility. You can't just be free to do whatever you want to do. There always comes a line you have to say that when you become irresponsible, now you've crossed the line. Mm. So... Yeah, so those are our, um, that's the approach that we're taking. Cool. So, I like yeah. the family one because um, you're right. In a space where um, families often, in a space where we're talking about distress, suicide, self harm, like all of that sort of stuff, families are the last point of call, last point of call, or the first point of call. Um, but Everyone else is trained, like in workplaces and schools and health sector, social services. Everyone's trained how to help that child that's in the middle or that individual that's in the middle. Where's Fano? And if Fano's or Ainga's, and they're not often part of that whole, um, they're not one, they're not offered the training, or if they are, where the support's for them. Because um, then they're left to their own devices. Whereas in the workplace, Anything happens, you've got policies, procedures, work safe, da 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 da. Help education, you've got all of those policies and procedures. When it comes to family, there's nothing on the outskirts. So to hear that there's going to be policies put in place to kind of support them or give them the unction that they need to be able to hold their whanau member in place of safety, of life, all of that stuff is, is awesome. I also know that there's some family that um, when. <laughs> There's some family that might be the cause of some of that. And thankfully there's stuff there now put in place for that. But there isn't stuff to support family to uphold their own whānau members. It's cool. I really, I really like that. Because that's one of our biggest struggles in community is doing stuff in the community um, and then trying to figure out, okay, now that we've done that in the community, who then, who's next? And you kind of have to leave it to the family to access them. They don't always know who they are. Mm. Services know who they are, but there's not that connection. So to have something in place for them, I think, is awesome. Yeah, I think that's really important too, that um, we need to also learn to have courageous conversations in our communities. And sometimes we just sort of turn a blind eye or we don't want to talk about these things. 
that are really important things to talk about. And so um, I think that's really important. I remember that um, when I used to have conversations in our community, I'd say to people that, um, you know, when strangers are in the room, we misbehave. We, we romance the stone about how amazing, you know, things are and so forth. But there are moments where we need to almost just be us, you know, shut the doors and close the curtains, right? <laughs> and say, hey, let's get honest. And let's talk about two things. Number one, what are we going to be responsible for? Because there's a lot of talk that needs to be about that. Mm-hmm. There are things that we've seen that we know that have happened in our community. We've excused them and think like, oh, yeah, that's all right. We just won't worry about it. It doesn't involve us. Well, it does. Because what happens is that the the consequence of that actually spills out into parts of our community. Mm. Uh, and then the second thing we should be talking is that what do we need help with uh, as well? Because you're right, Carolyn, the very things that are there that um, we don't help to give the support. And so one of our educational and family um, policy areas is around parents as first teachers. Because kids spend eight hours a day, five days a week in a school, but they've got to come home. Yeah. After work, mm. they've After got to work. go home. And how yeah. are we going to make sure that our parents feel like they've got yeah. the support to be able to do that, to look after, to care. So, yeah, that's, so that's an important thing to do. Yeah, very important. Really excited about that one. And the other ones. Yeah. I think one that really kind of stands out for me as well, besides the family, um, Alfred, is freedoms. You know, obviously it's been quite a hot, hot topic in terms of freedom of speech. Uh, council, uh, council culture, and so forth, and so obviously people just like you're saying the, the 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 slogan of working together, and for the good of the country. What's your take? What's what's your thoughts in terms of freedom and how how is that going to look for us as, as as a nation, or how do you want it to look for us as a nation? So one of the big questions also too around the freedom is. And I, and I believe the reasons why we are where we are is because we've we've shied away from having those courageous conversations. Uh, and so what do I mean by that? So at the moment, one of the hottest topics is around co-governance. And people say, that's removing our freedom to have to have elected officials. And now we're having unelected officials. And then all of a sudden it's dividing us because then people say, oh, it's elitist Māori doing this and so forth. And then... And then now you've got the political slogans. People say, well, that's it, you know, Māori names on everything. We'll just take out the names. And everyone goes, yeah, that's going to make it better. Is it? I don't think so. And so um, and so, what I mean by that is that the, part of the reasons when those freedoms are taken away is because we've stopped having those courageous conversations. And so I've seen it happen, you know, in Parliament or even in those governmental seatings. Here's what they say. I said, oh, with these tough issues... Okay, uh, we're going to have the Māori caucus. Then we're going to have the Pacifica caucus. And sorry to all our bailing, but they said, we call you mainstream. That's what the system would. And you have the mainstream, right? And I remember saying that I don't want to, I don't like that. I don't. I disagree with that. And they said, why? Because the truth is, we will be none the wiser or the better. Because here's what happens. Māori caucus stand up. They say, the representative, they say, oh, this is what we're going to do about this issue. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Pacifica, other people. And you know what happens? People don't know. And then all of a sudden people are afraid to ask a question, so they don't. So I said this, and I believe this is what needs to happen. We need to say, let's make a safe space. Let's all talk about these issues together. Because if we want the change, then you know we need to be willing to do that. 
and then let's talk about this tough conversation. Let's talk about uh, and 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 have mainstream Palangi people say, actually, I don't understand, and not feel like someone throws out the race car just because they say yeah. that. And this is what I get concerned about. There's there's lazy, careless words that are being used because people aren't courageous enough to hold the space. And here's our cultural capital. We have been in our settings, <laughs> in our churches, in our community, and even our homes. And you know, you know when you feel the tension, and everyone's sitting waiting because you just say, "Well, what's going to happen next?" <clears throat> That's a cultural capital, because we can hold tough spaces. And even though we're waiting, what's going to happen? What's going to emerge? And I know because I've seen myself in a situation where I've been able to hold it. So, what do we need to do? Is that when you have that tough conversation, right? then all of a sudden then you get to a better place, you know. And we need to stop trying to activate what I call peacekeepers. Let's just make everyone feel safe. Let's just make feel happy, you know. Patil or Charles will put on their, you know, their light pastel blue hat, have a flak jacket and call it, I'm just a UN peacekeeper to make people happy. We're not called to make people happy. We're called to bring peace, you know, welfare, love, care. That means you have to be what they call a peacemaker. And peacemaking means you're not afraid of confrontation. You're not afraid of tension. And when you can do that, is that then all of a sudden, you, what emerges is something that's richer. What does richer look like? All of a sudden, people begin to feel safe enough to say, actually, there's something I need to put right here that was wrong. All of a sudden, there's an opportunity for reconciliation. All of a sudden, people are able to say, actually, here's the truth of why I did what I did, why I said what I said. And then now you begin to see healing and restoration come together. You see, um, the flip side of freedom is that it has to be earned. The flip side of wanting to have a free society means that people actually fought for a society that we love and we cherish. You know, we have strong families and communities when we've worked for it and we've earned it. It doesn't just come just like that. And when freedom's gone, all of a sudden we realise that we may have taken those things for granted. So we've got to now turn around, and you don't just flick a switch by saying, that's it, no, um, what you call, legislation to inhibit free speech. No this, no that. Actually, you need to, we need to ask ourselves a bigger question, which is that actually, how do we allow for good speech and good debate? Because we haven't allowed that. We haven't created that. And there are things that are like that that I think that we need to talk about that have become, you know, tough for us to be able to, to address. And, you know, for instance, we know there have been things like abuse in our communities, but no one wants to talk about it, right? Mm. Oh, no, that's all right. We'll just leave it for someone else to deal with. No, no. Who's going to stand up and say, actually, that's not going to happen anymore? That's another thing. So freedom is to be something you, we, as a nation, I believe we have to earn it. Because when you've earned something, when you've fought for it, you cherish it even more. And then you know that you want to make sure that you uphold it. And um, yeah, I just I just really believe that. And so, you know, I really want to say that I, um, that's the other thing, that's the zeal inside of me. You know, I've just got this strong sense that um, if we don't have leadership that's willing to have their courage, then I can tell you we won't be any better off and we'll have another three years. People are going to make cheap promises on this political spectrum and say, don't worry about this, we're going to do this for you. I don't want to say that. I want to say that, are you going to do that? No one's talking about the fact is that we're going to fight for our freedoms and how are we going to do that? Because we're going to start to have real conversations about what does it look like. 
you know to me that's that's what I want to be part of and um, I'm unashamed unafraid to do that Are you able to? Um, I love that. I love that. Um, are you able to? Because um, you're moving into this, and this is rocket launch, right? <laughs> this is like on rocket, like power launch. So, for people who um, have known you and may not have seen you in this, like leading the country role, which I think is cool, um, are you able to sort of share like massive highlights in your um, time with National, just to kind of give people an idea of? your capabilities <laughs> without, you know, just. Yeah, look, one of the things I suppose my point of difference is that when I was there and then I became a cabinet minister and then all of a sudden I was able to bring parts of what I understood. This is their cultural capital, for instance. So my wife and I were part of NGOs in the not what they call non-governmental organisation space, not-for-profit. I mean, they give these wonderful names that also doesn't make that sector look really cool. And then... On side of that, a lot of them are burdened around funding. And, uh, you know, there are more more trusts in NGOs than there, are, there is funding that's available. So everyone's fighting for the dollar. And then all of a sudden, when you want to do good, it makes it really hard. And I remember that when I became a minister for the community voluntary sector, I thought to myself, there's got to be a better way. And some work had begun around social enterprise. And so then what I did, I began to accelerate that work and look at how we could actually then begin to get good research, good evidence to say that we could do better. And so um, what we did is that then I um, hosted um, the first international social enterprise uh, conference that was in Christchurch. And social enterprise is, is simply that you're using business acumen to still deliver a social good. Mm. And so you begin to think, so here's a quick example, for instance, Kilmarnock, which was a sheltered workshop, the old sheltered workshop uh, was down in Christchurch. They lost the poppy contract and everyone thought, oh my gosh, that's it. You know, where they just have all of these people around the table making these poppies. They shifted that off, off offshore. And anyway, I remember the CEO, um, Michelle Sharp, then saying, you know, once they finished crying their porridge after two months, they said, what are we going to do? And then they said, well, how about we look at using social enterprise as a way of rethinking that? So what did they do? They picked up a contract within New Zealand actually then working on the headphones to be able to then say to them, actually, we can refurbish your headphones um, 10 times and it'll still be the less of a cost of a brand new head of headphones. I said, okay, then you got that contract. And then they started using more, they used the same principle, using business acumen to be able to do that. In the end, after four years, they became 98% self-funding. They had their own factory, which is 4,000 square metres. They're employing 80 staff that were there. And you know what? They were thriving. And now they weren't struggling. And so that's the thing, I think. That's that innovation. That's that cultural care that we can bring. We don't have to be stuck in a system that's made us so dependent and squeezes the life out of you. Now people begin to thrive. But we had people in the system, no, no, we don't want that. Why? Because change is hard. Let's keep in the old system. In other words, let's keep ourselves a slave to a system that wasn't doing us any good. Mm. So that's the sort of experience that I brought. In, uh, for instance, uh, I then started seeding a system where, um, for instance, uh, in the areas of housing for Pacifica, and uh, there was what they call um, community housing uh, providers, they call them the CHB third sector. Um, and you know what? <laughs> we had no Pacifica providers in that space. And mm. I said, hello, hello. 
rather than saying that's really bad, I said, what an opportunity. Mm. Anyway, five were doing some work and they had happy to few managing others helping them. And I realised that the system got stuck. So I got them in a room and said, what's going on? And he said, at the moment, we, we're not getting anywhere. I said, great. So who's the closest to, you know, to get off the mark and to get through? So it was Panina Healthcare. Great, let's go. Got the team around and I said, let's make this happen. So we got them across the line. Hallelujah. The first Pacifica community housing provider basically to go across the line. And why do I love about that? Because now we're doing stuff for ourselves mm-hmm. and for our community. And rather than being stuck and then being dependent, now they've got a portfolio of I think something like 220 properties that you know and and things that are available. Oh. And I'm thinking, come on, come on, that's us now. Mm. That's what I'm talking about. Finding innovative solutions. That's the cultural capital that we have. We don't need to get stuck in a system that tries to tell us what to do. Mm. And so that's the thinking that I have. And then and then so part of my Jewish background, because my mother, my grandmother was called Rita Goldstein. She was her father was Marcus Goldstein. And so I was the chairperson of the Israeli Parliamentary Friendship Group. I would go over to Israel. You know, it's the startup capital of the world. So they know that they have to innovate in order to succeed. I said, man, that's awesome. Let's get some of that over here, right? Let's get us starting to innovate, to think of great and new ideas. Mm. And so to me, then setting up uh, innovation hubs, why? Because that's, that's what we do. We're a small trading nation. You know, we're five to six million people. We need to innovate our way out. And we've got that. Um, so to me, that's the sort of thing that I know that I bring, uh, the experience that I bring, and having seen that and done that. But we're now we need to really just multiply that. Mm. You know, we're in difficult. Uh, we are in a recession. Globally, there are some challenges for us. We need to diversify our portfolio in regards to where we go and trade. So at the moment, China's got a lot of our eggs in one basket. That needs to shift and change. And so to me, I'd be thinking about how we can do that. We can, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in the Pacifica community that we don't take advantage of. Mm. You know, we go and get a lot of our fruits and veggies over in the Asia region. Why? Because we haven't found an effective way to be able to get the resource which benefits our Pacifica community and here in New Zealand. So those to me are are ways of us thinking smarter, getting better, innovating new ideas. Um, and you know, there's research that shows you know the aptitude of entrepreneurism is greatest in Polynesian people. I and believe we, that. But it's, well, we are the least. We, we we invest the least in that. Our R and D, our research and development as a country is like one point four percent. Singapore is, is at ten to twelve percent. Wow. And so, hello, come on, wake up. Yeah. Let's start innovating. Mm. Let's start entrepreneuring and getting our people to we kick up. Mm. And then all of a sudden, we're not just the people waiting on a queue, waiting for someone to give us something to do. Now we're starting to determine our own future. Mm. That's what I want to bring to it. That's what I say to us, come on, people. This is our time. Don't wait for another three years and say and complain and moan. You have a chance now to actually then, I believe, this vehicle, vehicle of New Zealand is for all of our people. This is an opportunity. Don't vote out of fear or even out of tradition. Vote out of hope. Well, here we go. <laughs> Bloody vote New Zealand. <laughs> Sorry about that. I had to get yeah, that, no, that's good. Had to that's get good. one line. That's, that's, good. that's so good, Alfred. That is oh. so good. Yeah, that's cool. Marvel lover. Alfred, just sitting here listening to you, man. Yeah, you're, you, what comes across is um, very, very articulate, obviously very experienced, uh, integrity, uh, authenticity, um, and very, um, very knowledgeable in, in terms of 
the New Zealand also being uh, as a, being in politics, where where from, from the horse's mouth, where does that um, fire come from? Where in the in the the belly does that fire stem from? And so it has to come from somewhere. And so obviously you talk about your your, your grandparents, your your mum and dad, but for you as an individual, and I'm assuming I, I have a kind of idea where that comes from, but from from the horse's mouth, where does all that that fire and that zeal come from? Yeah, I mean, it comes from, you know, from, I suppose, three things. When I think about Pacifica, it's our faith, it's our family, and it's our future, really. And, um, you know, faith is not a, it's not a religion. It's a relationship that we have. And we can box it into a place and a time and a building and things like that. But actually, faith encompasses all the values that we have, and we have to live it every day. You know, that's what happens to me. And so it's a relationship that I have. And and my own personal Christian faith and my Christian walk. And, and what I love about it is that, you know, when you read Psalm 139, it says this, that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. It talks about the fact is, is that all the days ordained for us. In other words, there's a purpose that we can find in our lives that we have been created for. Now all of a sudden there's this optimism that comes there. But what I love about it is that sometimes we need to read the last part of that chapter in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, and it says this, Lord, check my heart. Test my anxious thoughts and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, there's two things that are really important that if you want to unpack a person or a people, read those two two verses and ask them in two questions. In other words, when you say, Lord, check my heart. In other words, what are the things that we dream of? That's what a heart question is. What's in your heart? What do you desire? What do you dream for, dream of? And then when it says, test my anxious thoughts, then you ask the question, what are you afraid of? Anxiety is a fear. It's an emotion that has fear. Because when you can address those two things, then you can put yourself in a way of being able to overcome your fears but not run away from them because they're real, but at the same time to then allow the passion of your heart to be able to dream, to then to be able to um, to become a real thing. And so sometimes we we have to unpack that, that faith is more than something we do where we say a prayer, we read. Actually, it can be part of you that infuses your life, that gets you thinking even more powerful. And, you know, I love the, the story of Daniel where, and he's a politician, right, in the Old Testament. And here's what he said to the officials. He said, I guarantee if you let it do our, our way, I said, you'll be amazed. And the king at that time, King Nebuchadnezzar, because they ate the right food, they sort of, had their faith that was front and centre of their lives, yet they still did their jobs in the political scheme. And here's what he said, though. The king said, you know these guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they're ten times better than anyone else. Because they had put themselves in a place where their faith was now part of who they are. It's a relationship of, of their, themselves. And so to me, that's really where it all comes, where it comes from as well. But the other thing I think is really important, your faith teaches you that um, is to not be afraid of your brokenness. Because sometimes those fears are real. We're not meant to run away from them. They're meant to address things that you may have inherited because there's sometimes things that get passed down from one generation to the next. And the only way you can make sure that it doesn't get passed down to the next generation is that it's our responsibility to front it and confront it and deal with it. Otherwise, the truth is, we'll just pass it on. And so there's a courage that means 
that when you deal with that brokenness, when you deal with that ugliness, when you deal with it, and you have to call it for what it is, because there are some things that, uh, you know, you and I knew, because when we were growing up as kids, Patia, that, um, you know, Clint Eastwood had that Western called The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. <laughs> I love that story. You know, and, and what it is, because there are good bits in life, there are bad bits, and there's some really ugly bits, right? And then we, we can't run away from the ugliness that's there. It's because a line has been crossed. Things have been done that shouldn't have been done. And so we have to, if we don't want that to be passed down to another generation, then we can't be afraid of fronting some of that ugliness, some of that brokenness. And I can tell you that I know in my own life that um, part of, I suppose, the authenticity in who I am is because I've had to front that up and, and know that I'm not perfect but inside of it, I've been able to find healing, restoration. And so when I talk about hope, when I talk about dealing with some of those challenges, I can take people to places because I've been there. You can't talk about hope or deal with challenges in your life if you haven't had the time to deal with your own challenges. And to me, that's what's authentic. It's not the pursuit of perfection. It's the willingness to be able to be honest, to be able to um, not be afraid of those things. That's what, to be honest, that's what really drives me in the heart of who I am. And that's why I know I can stand in any of those settings and I can stand in front of any of those people and uh, and know that um, I'm not afraid. I look at them and I hear their noise and sometimes all I hear is noise. I hear lots of things that have been said, and it's not about me judging them, but, you know, the power is that you can see into the heart of a person because you know your own heart. And that's the difference that I believe that, I suppose, that I bring, and that's what people, I believe, are wanting to hear the sound of. People are wanting to look for leadership that is authentic, that, um, yeah, and, and... and it's not afraid to actually walk along or even sit with people in some of the most traumatic challenges. And, you know, Caroline, you were talking about that question about how bad, you know, how, you know, how, how do we get to getting good again when it feels like so far away? You know, there are times where actually the answer is actually not in words, but it's just in actions and sitting with people. Not to try and fix them, mm. but just be there, be with them. And then allow the moment to emerge things that will bring, I suppose, restoration and healing and, and find a way together. That's, um, yeah, that's, I suppose that's all I, that's the heart of where, where I come from, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Powerful, man. Yeah, that is powerful. And I guess um, in any um, political campaign, people quite often are showing their best colours. <laughs> you know, always, oh, I don't know. Um, but I guess, you know, for people out there who want to see um, a real human being <laughs> sitting in that role, and like you said, you've had your own challenges, you've had to go through stuff, you've had, you've had to recover from that. And I think, you know, men who are the heads of their families, leaders of their homes, um, what, they're wanting to see that too. They're wanting to see men that reflect possibly the hope of where they are at right now and where they could take their families, especially in this time right now where it's quite... It's funny, you say we need to just sit with people. You're right. 
we sit with people and people quite often sit with people knowing that we're just in an in a in a time right now where things are just people not calling it out for what it is people are not seeing how bad the damage is they're not giving it the um the actual depth of the they're not talking to the depth of the wound um and so people know that and so they're sitting there and they're trying to do what they can but to them to the men who are the heads of their homes and the leaders of their families trying to make sense of this and they're sitting there with their family thinking okay elections are coming up like who am I going to vote for who's actually going to stand up and make a difference who's actually going to stand up and lead us through this ugly space that we sit in at the moment and I call it ugly because the levels of anxiety and the levels of the, the the pace at which people are working at the moment just not like it was. People are just like fearful that something else is going to happen. Um, something else is going to happen. And if something else happens, people are wanting to see that guy or that leader or that party um, lead us through it and not the way we've come through it in the last three years. Um, and so um, what are some of the, if you don't mind, sharing your humanness um, and just those challenges and just your rawness around some of the things that you've had to overcome so that people can kind of hear, you know, that he's he's gone through it and he's come out on the other side and he's come from one party, taken some time off and he's willing to lead this new party um, and lead the country into a different place. Like what are some of those challenging, vulnerable areas in your own life where you've you know, where you've had to be really honest with yourself and you've actually gone, okay, yeah, I need it. I need a, I need to get through this. I need to recover from this. I need help for this. Are you able to share some of that? <laughs> Just to give our, our viewers out there and especially men who are you know, sitting in their homes right now watching this, just wondering, you know, like, what does the hope look like? I'm in this place. I need to get out of it or I need to get through it. Um... And you know, Albert might be the one. Uh, you might be the one that is able to get us through that. Are you able to sort of share something around those lines? Um, yeah, I, I. So one of the challenges I had was um, being a father. Cool. You know, and uh, and that was really hard because I didn't really. Sometimes we just assume fathering is something that just comes natural to us, but often we model what we see. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I have to say there were times where, you know, I struggled with that. I struggled with my own father. And, um, you know, to the point where actually I was um, I was kicked out of home. I went to go do my own thing and, and I just pretty much ran away and just did something different. And, and I never really could restore uh, that brokenness and I suppose it got to a point where I actually then realised that um, I had to release my father from my own expectations in order to set me free. You know, I'd, I, I remember that it was this funny thing that I'm sure we <laughs> grew up with. So when I was going to school and then had a lot of my sort of, you know, Pākehā friends, Papa, Balangi friends, and I remember going to a birthday party one time and he goes, wow, man, it was so cool because they had cucumber sandwiches and things like that. Well, they weren't cool, but anyway. But i go there and the house was different, you know, and things would look cool. And it looked like, and I thought, oh, wow, this is an impression of a really good family. And then when they came to drop me off home, 
I got them to drop me at a, another house that wasn't mine. <laughs> Just thought, oh, you know. So you start avoiding things. But it was the beginning of beginning to judge my family, my father, my parents, because I thought this was a right way of being. And it wasn't until later on I realised that um, how that really didn't really do any good for me. And it set me on a, on a course of actually um, really not having a good relationship with my dad. Um, and in the end, I had to learn to to release my dad from my own expectations as a father. Mm. And then when I when I did that, I began to realise that you know my dad, uh, my dad's my dad's father you know, died when he was young, so he didn't have a father mm. as a role model. And then I realised that he was coming here to another country and living in a difficult, you know, different culture and so forth. And he was trying to struggle to be who he was. And as soon as I started to do that, I started to see my dad in a different light. And so now I actually saw him as a man that actually, actually was a man trying to do the best that he could. And I think that was, for me, was the beginning of actually starting to own my feelings. And it was the beginning of me being able to open, okay, all right, so if I'm starting there, what else is there? And I started dealing with my own insecurities that often reflected themselves in me trying to be overconfident or even uh, make up. And to be honest, um, I probably used to tell lies about things because it, it's that cycle of trying to think that you're bigger. That, are you a good, yeah, man, I'm really good, I'm doing well, when the truth is that I wasn't. I was struggling with insecurities. I was struggling with how I saw myself. And I had all of these things inside of me, but I never, I never really owned up to them. And then um, when there became really difficult times, you know, in our family, um, I didn't know how to handle those emotions, so I would hide them even more so. So all of a sudden this this weight inside of me um, became something I hid from everyone else. But what it ended up doing, it manifested itself. What I mean by that, it just reflected in other ways. I withdrew, I didn't, didn't um, my relationships were sort of like surface, I'd pretend to say, no, I'm all good and so forth, but really inside I was just being eaten up inside. And uh, to be honest, even though I looked confident on the outside, you know, I was an electrician, I was going to church, I was doing all sorts of other things, but on the inside, this thing was just eating up, uh, eating me away, and I, and I wasn't confronting them as well. And I think that in the end, uh, not I think, I know that it wasn't until I finally began to open up and you know, I'm thankful to, you know, an incredibly loving and understanding wife and and so that was really um, helpful for me, um, especially since she was a counsellor as well. So I've had counselling for 38 years. That um, helps. <laughs> unsolicited. Even Ex when I didn't want it, I was getting my counselling. 24-7. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, no, but, but, but to be honest, I actually... Uh, began to realise that actually that um, I didn't need to hide from my feelings. Actually, I could own them and I could be honest. And then actually that um, strength was not in trying to look strong, but true st inner strength was actually being willing to be to be vulnerable. And now I was using words like being vulnerable. I'm thinking like, I, I suppose I learned that I could give language to an emotion. Well, I never did that before. It was like good, bad or indifferent, you know, that was it. <laughs> then all of a sudden, like, oh, I'm using the word vulnerable. Oh, what does that mean? And, um, yeah, and I began to realise that it's okay. 
and I suppose uh, so what I'm saying is that uh, as I started to find language that gave me a way to frame up the emotion then all of a sudden I began to realize that actually now I could start to unpack things and see them for what they were my relationship with my my parents and my family I could understand that and then um yeah, and I, look, I, I think one of the, the biggest challenges of heading into political life is that, um, you know, is the cost of, of that on our family and on, mm-hmm. our, and on our children. You know, we can be leaders in our different spheres of influence and people say, wow, you're amazing. Oh, you're doing this. But then there are others that you get criticised for being in there. Then all of a sudden, actually, while you may be robust to be able to deal with it, actually it's a family because they see them, they see accusations about you. And so to be honest, in the political sphere, it's probably one of the most difficult things because you're in the public square. It can be very unforgiving, mm-hmm. even at the best of times. And so all of a sudden I had to then be aware of that and understand the cost. And, um, and to be honest, the, um, when, I, when I had to sit with that, I, I just began to cry. And I learned to say that it's okay to cry. And I just began to weep. In fact, sometimes I even wailed. Because all of a sudden there was this deep sense of being able to releasing something that was deep inside of me to say that it's okay to do that. And I never did that before. And that's that release and everything that had been bottled in here. I finally gave myself permission to say it's okay. And uh, you can do that. And... um, so yeah, I just then had moments where I literally would just um, I would just weep and wail about things, and there was this depth that just came out, and and then once that came out, then I was able to deal with it, mm-hmm. and then I was able to talk about it. Now I had a framework that I could actually say that well, what does that actually mean now, and then now that I knew that, then what I could do with it. But um, uh, so yeah, so that's you know it's still a long journey. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I, I shied away from going to any forms of counselling and support and so forth. And I've, I've done some of it, but um, to me, uh, I know that that's really important to be able to do to do more of that. Really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so that's how I've able to to deal with some of those um, those raw emotions, and um, which means that you know even in you know even in leadership positions then you're not afraid to just, um, you know, be in the moment. And I think that's the most important thing is that you're learning to be in the moment. And, um, yeah, I think that's, gosh, yeah, that's the toughest questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I really appreciate you sharing that because as the leader of a party, um, potential leader of the country, people want to know that you're a real man um, that has the similar similar things that we all have, but you've been able to work through them. It's not like you've just ended up in this leadership space. And I know that uh, most leaders have, have a facade that they have to hold as part of the party and who they represent. But I think it's also important that people see the goodness of who you are, you know, and the journey you've had to come from or go through. Um, and, and, you know, just some of the, like, you know, some of those parental, um, I think everyone has phases in their life where um, they have either issues with their mum or their dad, regardless of what the, the spectrum is. 
But it's important for people to get to a point in their life where they recognise mum and dad only did their best. Um, I love that you said that you've had to express those emotions. I also love that you've said that you had to do something about it. Because I think um, in this space where we talk about vulnerability, there's a lot of, I feel this, and then that's it. Actually, you (laughs) took it a couple of steps further. Yeah, I feel this. But because I know what the feeling is and I've been able to give it a language, this is what I've I've had to do something about it. I think that's beautiful to be able to model that that's sort of your process um, so that other people as they watch this can kind of see, okay, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of steps here that I need to sit in. First, I've got to be honest. I've got to be, I've got to be able to be in touch with that stuff. And then I've got to let that out. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, mm. I love her for that. Yeah. I like people to see how it's real beautiful. you are. That is, that is so beautiful, Alfred. Because I think people, like you're saying, there's, there's a lot of emotions. We're emotional beings have these feelings, but like you're saying, you're able to articulate those feelings. You know, people think it's just bad, good, or indifferent. But for you to articulate those feelings uh, and share with us, it just humanizes you. And people think as, as politicians, oh, they're politicians, yeah. But I don't know that politicians are human as well. You know, the people live in a glass house, and they're like, oh, this is who they are. And like Karen was saying, people can, politicians can put on a facade or persona. But for you to share that, um, also, model lover, because it shows in terms of good, man, that that's a that's a great great um, example of someone who is good, who wants to share that, or share their aroha, or share their heart with the nation. And so, you being the leader of New Zealand, and like Karen was saying, potentially, you know, maybe just maybe speaking into existence, the leader of 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 Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, it's a it's a good. I think it's a it's a good start. I think it's um, people need to hear that, and people need to see politicians being vulnerable. Like, oh, there's there's just a man. They they got a vision, they got a goal, but they're just a man. At the end of the day, there's just a man. People look at the end product and say, oh, but yeah, there's there's real depth to those, and it takes a lot of courage, to, it takes a lot of mana to say, hey, I'll put my hand up, I'll be the leader. And so, maro love also, maro love so for. Man, it's just just a privilege. It's been a real privilege, Alfred, um, having this Salonor with you, and for you to share your heart, but also share what's what's up and also the political climate with um, New Zealand. So uh, that is, it's been this has been an honour, honour, great honour. Also, any any last questions, um, Caroline? <laughs> Coming to an end. Oh no, no, no <laughs> just because, beginning. No, but, but, but I'm very mindful of time as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, uh, the, oh, my question's just gone out, but it was around what you were um, sort of sharing. And I guess, um, yeah, that was the question, because uh, family's such a big part in the, um, I guess, in the the principles of the New Zealand Party. How have you kept the balance between, because you've already been a politician, you've been for many years, um, and so as you move into the leadership role, how have you... How have you kept that balance? Because you're right, there's a cost to some of this mahi that we do. There's a cost to wanting to represent or speak on behalf of a community, uh, the country. And so how have you kept that balance? Have you maybe minimised the costs? <laughs> I'm assuming you have. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, uh, the truth is, is that I was fortunate to have the love and support of the family. Uh, of our four children, three boys and one girl. When I went in to Parliament, uh, our youngest son was 18 years old. So um, they were older. 
The reality, though, is that I threw myself into it, and so I didn't really have a balance. I was just... <laughs> but I took an attitude of that of doing my apprenticeship, sweeping floors and making cup of teas. That's what I said. What are you doing? I said, I'm sweeping floors and making cup of teas. And so wow. and I just worked incredibly hard to serve. And uh, that service paid off because then people actually appreciated that. But what it meant, the cost was to my family is that I was hardly at home. Mm. In those first, you know, three to four years and then even proceeding to that. So the difference this time is that I remember with my wife and I, we said we're going to do it different this time. And often that in those political parties in a political climate, um, the value is to, to get ahead, to be better than everyone else, uh, to succeed, to have better policies. And often it's adversarial. So I believe it's politics, so you have to be challenging. But at the same time, too, you have to have a set of values that are critically important. In other words, your family has to be first. You have to look after them. So to me, I would be doing it different to what I did. And the party leadership that I would have is to make sure that we always look after each other, that the families are really important in how we conduct ourselves uh, as well because it demands a lot of you. But at the same time, too, we need to be... You know, doing it well, and uh, so you know, I, I talk. We talk a lot. We're very close in our, with our children and our family as well, and um, it's giving people the permission to speak into you, like with my kids. And you know, my daughter the other day said, "Dad, are you sleeping? You don't look like you're sleeping well. Are you eating?" And it goes, "Oh my gosh, I got she's she's mini mocha." You know, my, my wife right there. That's cool. Um, but um, but you have to give them permission to be able to do that. So to me, that's another accountability factor. Is that giving them permission to speak into your life and have others around you so that you say, hey, if you see I'm going off track, if you see that I'm not doing the right things, I'm not spending time, you know, uh, you know, and, and keeping that relationship together. And, and I had to learn something that actually you have to invest in it. You have to spend time. It's, a, it's something that has to continue to grow. It's not just, hey, we've been married for this amount of time. Actually, you have to, to give life to that. You have to continue to to nurture it and, and grow it as well consistently. So all of those values I think are really important. So that's what I would be doing differently and have already started to do that differently uh, with each other as well. So accountability with our kids, keeping short accounts with one another, having lots of activities and having people speak into your life. Not too many, but enough that actually means that... Does that count? Actually, the ones that count. Um, to be able to do that. And so... Yeah, so that's how we keep that. And I think the word um, balance can sometimes be confusing because there are moments where it's not balanced because there's you have to, the demand of the moment, it means that you've, you're required to put a lot of effort and energy in there. Then you have to make sure, though, that you have to come back to a place where you then have to give back into that. And so to me, that's really important. And uh, yeah, they call it grey hair because it's a crown of wisdom. <laughs> and yes, it because is. you learn... Uh, so that's really important. So, But I did have a funny moment with my daughter, my only daughter. And so, you know, when your daughters take you out, and I'm sure you'll attest to find this, Carolyn, is that with your dad, often it's a it's code for a moment for your dad to shout you something like a new dress or something. And anyway, we went to this moment and, hello, oh, dad, I forgot my card. Is it okay, dad? Yeah, I've got it, doesn't so, it? Yeah, yeah, all the time. And so what happened is I went to go and pay and then the young woman at the counter said, oh, can I ask you a personal question? I said, yeah, who does your highlights over here? And I said, <laughs> uh, 
they were real. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my daughter thought that was really funny. Uh, I didn't at that moment, but um, it's like asking a woman if you're pregnant and they're not. Rude. Yeah, no, that's that's it. You didn't do that. Did no, 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 I didn't. Do I wouldn't do that. Charles, the Charles. No, who knows? We don't know. Since he's not here, we can blame him anyway. Um, but yeah, no, just I just think that those healthy relationships with your family are really important. Yeah, and that's what you learn along the way and along the journey, and just have to make sure you you care for people and. And sometimes people say, oh, you know, politics is such an evil cess, but they, they have these funny names, eh? They say, oh, so dark, how could you go there? <laughs> and I said to them, you know, you know what darkness is? And they said, no, it's the absence of light. You know, they go, oh, that's pretty deep. And I said, no, but it's also true. Mm. And so it's like where we started and said, how are you going to deal with the goodness? And said, so if you go into there and if you buy into that, you lose the opportunity. So in my nine years when I was there, I talked to the cleaners, I talked to the security guards, I talked to the people there. I knew their names, I knew about their family. So you can create community, right, and a place that's actually caring for people, mm. even in a place like that. And um, that's that's what I did. So to me, you know, create community, create community that cares, have a political party inside parliament that creates their culture. That's what you can do. Mm, that's cool. That's cool. I do have one more question. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Because I, I think got a question um, as well, yeah. our biggest fa- our biggest learnings um, come from our biggest failures, um, and I'm only talking in your political um, reign. <laughs> um, but is there like one bomb? <laughs> Can I just call it a bomb? Is there one 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 moment where and do? You, where you've just had your most greatest learning from that um, is is something that's obviously brought you into this leadership role uh, and leadership and leader of this uh, sorry in the leadership role of this um, party. Biggest learning from that whole from that experience with national. Um, yeah, I mean, so when I was a minister, one of the things that I did is that I mean, you're in a a position of of influence and of opportunity and you have power uh, to be able to exercise that in different government departments that impact people's lives and but at the same time too you can get up caught into what I call that sort of political type of hype and spirit and things of things the way that people think and do and part of that is that you can make yourself think that you're better than other people because you're always you're inside of that and there was a moment when I was a minister, um, and what I did is, is that, I mean, I there were things that people said, uh, and then I just had a go at them. I just publicly turned around and said, well, <laughs> you can't throw stones and then take on the one hand. So there was a, a, an NGO that was actually doing this. Um, you know, it's, it, look, um, it's not talking out of turn because it actually was inside the, the media. So I remember that I, I criticised, you know, Radio uh, not, uh, Wati and Marae with um, Willie Jackson, actually. And uh, I turned around and said, hey, you can't criticise us on one hand and yet you take all the, the different things that the government is offering. So I, I sort of publicly said that and said you can't do that. And then I even had a go at the media. I said the media were manufacturing crisis, so... <laughs> I don't even named who that was because they were in the meeting. John Campbell, I said, you can't do that because he'd ask a question about someone and rather than saying, how did you get here? 
he turned around and didn't ask that question. So there was a young woman, she was a mother of two young kids, she was in a motel, and then he said, oh, what happened? And he goes, oh, I got, you know, kicked out of home. Well, the next question you should have asked is, which is that, why did you get kicked out of home? But he didn't ask that question. Mm. So I'm thinking, like, this is what's become of the media, where they actually, not, not, they're not in pursuit of the truth, they just want to keep manufacturing things. Anyway, so I had to go at him. And then <laughs> I had to go at the Salvation Army, right? <laughs> I know, an NGO that's doing good for the community, State of the Nation report. Da, 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 da. And then all of a sudden I thought, no, I don't like, you know, what you guys are saying, things weren't quite right and so forth. And, and um, you know, the truth is I got caught up in that. Mm. And I learned the fact is, is that, you know, I thought I was doing the right thing, but in actual fact I'd become arrogant. I realised that actually that um, I'd lost sight of the very values that I was meant to uphold, uh, and that was a that was a a real big learning curve for me. Mm. So that's one of the things that I would say that that was definitely a massive learning curve, yeah. and um, and there was no humility in what I was doing. All it was was trying to be arrogant and trying to be bigger and better than anyone else. So to be honest, I was no different to what was happening. And while other people turned around and said, no, you're doing the right thing, uh, actually I was doing the wrong thing. Mm. And so that was my biggest learning. Oh. Um, so out of that, so, uh, yeah. Wow. wow, thank you for that. Wow. Shot. That's, that's a massive learning, and I hope people really hear your heart tonight um, and who you are from a character point of view. Um, just so you know, he hasn't paid us to see any of this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this man. really is, for me, just so, so much learning. Because yeah. I often, when I look, not just in politics, in any role, you know, that has a leader, a position of leader leadership, ego's there. <laughs> it comes, it, you need it, almost, in some of the, in some of the, I mean, I don't know, ego's there. And we're always in that, um, we're always in that place of testing ourselves and reminding ourselves, and of why we're there. And I know in our own work, I'm forever asking myself, you know, are we, as of right now, am I contributing to the problem or the solution? Because you can get caught up in the in the engine of it and totally lose sight. Um, so I really appreciate what you've shared tonight, um, because that coming into this role. There's a real um, sense of your level of self-awareness and I think that's absolutely massive and I really hope people see that tonight. Yeah. Cool. It really is, Alfred. We do. We like, we hope that the viewers and the listeners can engage. Like, oh, this is, engage your heart as well. Engage who you are as, as an individual but also as a man and also as the leader of political leader of New Zealand. But just one more question before we um, wrap up the Talanoa. Also, you know, the hope is that the campaign and the runway does extremely well. And if, or should I say when, when you become Prime Minister, <laughs> Prime Minister uh, of Aotearoa, New Zealand, and in your heart of hearts, what, what in terms of Aotearoa and becoming the leader, how do you envision the country to run and how do you envision the country to look like? I know you talked about hope and now you touched on hope. But in your heart of hearts, when you when you become Prime Minister of New Zealand, how do you envision the nation to be, and what would you like the nation to to look like? So one of the things I am so proud of, and I've had the opportunity, and I know a number of us have had, 
at times it's actually been a position where I was able to um, to have the silver fern on a jersey. It was actually the parliamentary rugby team, and we we're over in England. And I remember the time is that there was a moment, and we sung our national anthem. And I, you know, put my hand on my chest, and I thought, "Wow, okay." And it reminded me of what Aotearoa New Zealand is all about. And this amazing anthem that was written in 1875 by Thomas Braddock, and which two years later was translated into Māori. And when you actually um, actually read and even sing all seven verses, it has an incredible declaration about this nation. You know, this is God of nations. So there's this thing that actually has this resonance about a vision about a nation that's not only for this nation, but a nation for all nations. You know, and the humility of people coming together despite their creed or race. And so we've got a bicultural foundation that this nation was formed for the Tritia Waitangi. And could we come together under a spirit of humility that would unite us? Would leaders be willing to lay down, I suppose, their crowns of what they think is their positions? And could they, for a moment, create a space of humility in which they could bind a community, a nation together? And then I love the fact that when it talks about guarding the triple Pacific star, I've often seen that as actually a reflection of our relationships into the Pacific region. And so then all of a sudden we're looking outside of ourselves as well. And I just really believe that there's a, to me, if you're looking for a blueprint, there's none better than actually looking at this national anthem, where it actually has it there. If you're trying to find the words, sing the words that are in there. If you're trying to find a blueprint about how that they could unite a country, that two years after that it was written in English, it was translated into Māori. And, you know, that to me is such a powerful uh, element that's lasted for such a long time, that still resonates inside of it. And to me, that's what is a beautiful blueprint that we can, you know, that we can use. And it has so many powerful elements of uniting us, to, you know, defending the things that are really important. And that's what does patriotism. When it says God defend, it means we're protecting the things that are really important. What are those important things? Then you begin to reflect about those values, our family, our whanau, our ainga. What else is important? The ability to be able to thrive and to grow. Um, you know, you don't have to try and make it up. Actually, it's already there. And so to me, that's actually what I would do. I would say, let's look at this anthem and let it make a declaration. Let's not only govern in a way, but let's lead so that other people would find a place to stand together. Because it talks about the elements of unity inside of that. So to me, that's what I believe is really important. Mm -hmm. That's what I believe leadership of a nation uh, should be bound on uh, for us as a people as well. So, yeah. And uh, then we'll have this pride to be able to stand, you know, together and continue to declare it every single time. And then be not afraid. And I believe it will break down walls. I believe it will break down barriers amongst each other. Um, it will confront very challenging things. You know, it will be an openness of heart, as you said, Caroline, where we're actually mm -hmm. we're, we're not ashamed of some of those feelings. It will address some of the inequities of the past and how we can actually then bring hope into the future and to me that's that's what I would see that's what I would do and I'd make it front and centre and say let's let's now sing this out let's declare it out let's make it ring through the halls of parliament 
and out into our communities. You know, let's our children stand up in every time and you know, sing it in the schools and that and now let's make the song become our reality. Let's live it out in everything that we do. Mm. That's that's what I see. That's what I would do. Um, yeah, that's me. Man, man, oh lover, man, oh lover. That's a cool image. Yeah. Any any last words, um, Caroline? Oh man, it's been such a privilege to um, know you as the man, (laughs) Um, not as the National Party or the uh, New Zealand leader. It's just been beautiful to hear you as a man. Lovely to meet your wife as well, who's Mm. a big part of your team. Um, Just your principles and values is what this country needs. Um, and the cool thing is you're not just speaking it out, you actually live it. Um, and even as you use that whole example of the country singing the anthem, I mean, that in itself brings unity when we're able to do one thing together at the same time. I think that's beautiful. And we, um, yeah, just the fact that you have that as a vision um, and you have the values behind that, really excited to see um, this come to life. I hope all your other campaign initiatives go really really well um but it's just great to see such a uh, to see a party that's authentic and really wanting to bring hope that's practical um into people's lives and into the homes of our so i'm really excited about that thank you yeah man lover lover love alfred it is it's so refreshing to hear because you oh. You're one of the very few politicians, and especially you're the, one of the political uh, political leaders of a party. Is all the best, all the best with the campaign, all the best with the the, the runway, and I pray that all goes well. Um, and so, thank you, thank you for your nuggets, thank you for your insights, but also thank you for just being vulnerable as well and being uh, and, and open and honest. And not too, I don't think uh, too many um, politicians are able to do that nowadays. But for you to, to to sit here and tell all with us and and be open and honest is, is so much, uh, so powerful, so powerful indeed. And so you know the hope is that yeah, like you were saying, uh, working together for the for the good of the country and that it will come to to reality. And so also uh, we do have a gift. Every um, every guest that comes on, we always give them a, a caricature of who we envision them to be. Uh, you know, we talked about um, envision to yeah, be. Yeah, envision. Yeah, envision to be. And so. Uh, on behalf of the mandate team, this is uh, for you, so. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And, um, yeah, uh, kia koe, kia korua, e mitaki mata, Thank you so much. Uh, my heart is, you know, really warmed and overwhelmed. And, and thank you for, for what you do on mandate. I'm just really proud of the fact is, is that you're creating podcasts that actually tell our stories and that our stories are not just for us, but they're for the whole country. Mm. And I just believe that you're resonating something that's so important for a second, third generation of Polynesian Pacifica people that um, that we've got. And just, um, so, yeah, so thank you. Oh, man. Yeah, and you even got my colours too. Is it, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't love it. Did you draw this? Yeah, I drew, I drew the year. Wow. Man, what a appreciate skill. It, appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you, Alfred. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but Alfred, um, just before we um, um, conclude, is there anyone that you can think of that would be ideal to come on the podcast? Anyone on the top of your head you think, oh, this, this person would be great to come on? Yeah, look, I mean, I think about um, people like um, Ronnie Clark, 
Um, so, I mean, it's great that he's got the legacy of his own journey and where he's got and uh, to, to what he's doing as well. Um, I, I think of people like, um, actually, I think of my daughter because <laughs> she's one of uh, 1% of Pacifica people that's in tech and she's done oh. incredibly well. She's been on a, a number of places where she's really trying to push and they're running programs like Navigate and Rex and trying to get young, you know, Pacifica uh, women and, and people into wow. those spaces as well. And and I just know that, so, you know, we, we know the old STEMS project uh, of initiatives where getting people into science, technology, and technology at the moment is something that I believe that's part of our cultural capital. Mm. And we just need to tap into it and know how to en- enhance that. And so people like, uh, you know, like Wainona, my daughter, and others that are like that, there's a number of them in that space. Cool. So I think that having those ideas and people like that, you know, can can do really well. Um, and then and then other trades, I mean, there are people who are in engineering, John Kutasuva, who's around started trading trade in schools. So there's just there's a whole host of people in the, out there who just need to continue to tell their story um, that are really important. Oh, my old lover. Cool. And so we always, always give our guests the, the last words of encouragement for our viewers out there and listeners. So you, even if it's a plug-in for New Zealand, yeah, so you go, go for it, um, Alfred. Yeah, well, look, first of all, just want to say thank you so much, you know, Carolyn and Patia, and thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak and to share from our perspective, from my perspective as well. And what I, uh, when I think about the name mandate, right, it's it's like a, it's like having a call, a cause, or something to actually say this is important. It's a principle. It's something that is very powerful. And I suppose when I thought about the mandate podcast, it's about, and it's not a mandate though. Even though you and the boys probably used to get together, you thought it was you and Charles and Jermaine, but but actually it's like a, a calling to be able to actually put forward. Uh, something that's really important. So I, w- I actually want to spend that last word in acknowledging you, acknowledging what you, you give to us, because this is the dream. This is the... We don't have many podcasts that allow that story to be told, you know, to be expressed. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving me and others an opportunity to be able to, to do that, because we don't often have these uh, platforms that allow us to be to be honest, to be able to speak truth. And so I... I felt safe enough in the space where I could be me. Cool. I felt um, the questions that you asked, you know, began to explore. Um, so, so there's a both a an IQ and an EQ that's going hand in hand. Mm. You know, it's the emotion, but also the intelligence. It's the understanding of those things and what it means is that you allow the best of us to be seen and heard uh, and expressed as well. And so, this to me is the articulation of cultural capital of who we are exactly what you're doing as well so can I honour you and thank you uh, for this opportunity as well oh my lord lover bless you bless you very much Honourable Alfred Nardo um, and so please don't forget to like comment and subscribe and as usual Caroline refine take charge unlock unlock and take charge, <laughs> take charge. Band-Aid.